This, 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 this is mythical. Ear Biscuits is supported by the farmer's dog. Dogs will eat basically anything you put in front of them. And if you're Barbara, you will like <laughs> seek it out off of tables, counters. That, that woman is crazy, <laughs> uh, that woman being my dog. Uh, so it's important to be putting the right kind of food in their bowls. Right, and when you care about your dogs as much as we care about ours, you know, a thoughtful approach to what goes in those bowls makes sense. Yes, the farmer's dog is real, fresh, healthy food with whole meat and veggies gently cooked in human-grade kitchens to preserve their nutritional value. Just tell them about your dog and they'll deliver personalized, vet-developed recipes for as little as $2 a day. The meals arrive pre-portioned and in ready-to-serve packs delivered on your schedule. Millions of meals have been ordered across the country. We've been partnering with the Farmer's Dog for a few years now and they really are as good as they say. It really has never been easier to invest in your dog's health with fresh food. Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at thefarmersdog.com ear. Welcome to Ear Biscuits, the podcast where two lifelong friends talk about life for a long time. I'm Rhett. And I'm Link. This week at the round table of dim lighting, we're talking about your legacy. Mm. What? You know, when you go to a funeral, um, sometimes, as I did recently, you, you it, it puts these things on the forefront of your mind, thinking about like, man, when I pass, how am I gonna be remembered? And is there something that I should be doing now in order to facilitate my memory well, or my legacy? The first thing that comes to mind is you should be trying to find a way to get that image of you peeing chocolate into my mouth off of the internet before you die. Yeah, so I, and I do wanna talk about, um, and I'm and I should actively also be working towards yeah. that. That like, should be our only goal. Let's just are, stop this podcast right now. I do want to talk about us as a special case in this, but you know what? Maybe you're not an internet celebrity. Maybe you're just an avid listener of two internet celebrities. And that's okay. You still need to tackle your legacy and how you want to be remembered is anything you can do. So I think we can put ourselves in the shoes of the listener as well and talk about that. Um because yeah, I've I have been in this, in 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 this mode of okay, passing away, remembering. You are in the mode of passing away. Well, I'm Please, not, no, I'm not, I'm not passing away. I mean, technically, we all are slowly. Um, yeah, I went to a funeral. I'm I'm in the headspace. Good, good word of passing away and being remembered. So I just thought, you know, let's have a conversation about that. So I think the first half is me sharing the experience of. Everything surrounding this funeral, and of course, uh, you know, I'm keeping it vague because once I get, once I start telling you about it, I'll be telling you about it. And then I do think there, there's a specific discovery that then really got me thinking about all of this stuff. Got you thinking more than just a funeral. Okay, more than just what other people say about you after you die, and a lot more about what you say about yourself mm. after you die. Okay, you're talking about holograms now. You're intrigued? <laughs> See, all, the, all this was teaser. Pretty lighthearted teaser. I mean, I guess it's gonna start out kinda heavy, you know, if, uh, if you don't wanna hear about passing to loved ones and uh, funerals, this is not the episode for you. 
or role playing your own death. That's not. I'm not saying that the right way either. Just anyway, proceed. Um, all right. Hard left turn into into being serious. Um, as as you know, I've talked about it. I know you know, but as I've talked about on Ear Biscuits, my mom's husband Lewis has not been good, good, good for a long time. Of course, right. that's that was his catchphrase. But then once he suffered a number of strokes about three years ago, we never heard him say good, good, good anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I, I believe after I went home in July, I came back and, and talked about it on an ear biscuit, like my, my whole experience of going home. And if it wasn't that episode, it was another one where I was just really inspired by my mom being so, sacrificial in her love for Lewis to take care of him 24 seven as as a nurse, as well as a wife and companion for, yeah, what what went on for three years. Um, He had a number of health complications recently and we were, you know, we were tracking along with mom and it's, it it was a bit of a surprise um, when he passed. Um, but it was, he, he, he had taken a turn. So there was like, there were a few days, maybe a a week leading up to it. You know, he got, uh, he had some complications from COVID. Uh, he had a number of other things going on, but Mm -hmm. the long and short of it is, um, he, he did pass away, you know? And, uh, I never, I never called Lewis my, my stepdad, because again, he got married to you mom. Did, you did call him your father-in-law. I call, yeah, I always called him my father-in-law Which, because I loved him so much. I definitely loved him, and you know, you feel he like was, stepdad is not an, uh, yeah endearing enough. Yeah, I don't. I'm not feeling that term. There should be a term for when your stepdad steps up and becomes your dad. And I think you just call well, him. He dad. didn't become my dad either. Mm, okay. He just he became because you were an adult already. He when became they got my together. mom's husband. After, and that's how you're always referred to him, my mom's husband. Right. And everybody'd be like, You're stepdad? Right. And that that's not to say that I didn't love him and still do love him. And he was a, a Popeye to my kids, you know, as mm-hmm. well as a wonderful, wonderful husband to my mom. I mean, they loved each other. I mean, it, the reason why and you know what? I, I, they gave people an opportunity to to stand up at the funeral and say, um, say a little something mm-hmm. about Lewis. And I, I got up and I just and I, I, and I have a first hand account of this. Well, second hand account because yeah, my, you weren't there. My wife was there. Yeah, that's right. Because my wife happened to be in North Carolina at the time, which was awesome. Yeah, she was there. I talked to her beforehand. She said Link did great. Just in case you did, you you had any doubts about that? Well, I knew there was going to be like a popcorn sharing time, and and I knew that I would I was ready to go first, so that to prime the pump for other people to go, because they didn't might not have known and been prepared for it. You know, it's not walk up and go behind the podium and it's talk. just stand up. Just in stand your up spot. where you are, because the family just felt like. 
that would give people an opportunity to say something from the heart, but not put anybody on the spot who really needed to prepare. A, no mic, like a no microphones involved. There was a microphone. A passive mic. So I knew that this was gonna happen, and so I was ready to kind of prime the pump, so I, I, I stood up first and said my little piece, and then other people said their thing, but I did a very calculated, I'm not going to ramble on forever because then other people will feel like they have to do that, and a lot of me getting up and the uh, the main reason I'm getting up is obvious, but a secondary reason I'm getting up is to empower other people to share what's on their heart by not being too long or too perfect or intimidating or anything. I'm just gonna be myself and keep it simple. Okay. But also keep it quick, and that was the one thing that I knew could be a problem. Well, how long did you go? Longer than I wanted, but I mean, <laughs> I think it ended up being like, I don't, I, it felt like, Four minutes, so it was probably six minutes. Uh, probably seven and a half. And it could have been seven and a half, but like Jesse told you. You did great. I did great. Right. But I, I was really glad to celebrate he and mom's relationship and the things that I had already shared with you and shared on this podcast um, that it, it really was a representation of you know, a fulfillment of the marriage vows they took in, in, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, you know. She was she was there with him. She went above and beyond, not as yeah. a wife, but as a nurse, really, to 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 really care to care for him when she had lost so much of him years ago. I mean mm -hmm. it it was it's been so difficult to to see both of them go through this. But I say, you know what, she didn't do it as a fulfillment of her vows, she did it because she she loved him. I mean, they had a great relationship, they had a great life together, they enjoyed each other. And it was it's a beautiful thing that he was, the way, she, the way he treated her and the companionship they gave each other, he was, he was worthy of the care that she gave him. And that was the way that I wanted to honor him to his his family and friends there was to say, I'm celebrating my mom for what she did in service to him out of love, not, at, not out of obligation. And I'm so glad that she had someone in her life that was worthy of that type of care and sacrifice because Lewis was an awesome guy. He was loved by everybody in the community. That's why other people wanted to say something. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it was the service was was really beautiful, and it was it was a celebration. It made all of us feel very grateful to have had him in our lives. I will also say another note that I got from Jesse about this funeral. I didn't know if you were going to talk about this aspect of it. Uh huh. Um, we've been to many. Uh, Christian, maybe only Christian funerals uh, in our yeah. in our lives, and I know that this was a Christian funeral, and they went to a, a Methodist church. Yeah, uh, many of the funerals that we went to growing up, um, the obligate it, it it was much less about the person, and they made it about the people in the audience, and about them having to make a decision about Jesus, and it became this very hardcore like gospel presentation. Yeah, and it was kind of like, yeah, he was a great dude, but what about you and where are you gonna spend eternity? And we always felt like it wasn't a real funeral if the pastor didn't take that hard turn into a gospel presentation. Yeah. Um, and I was 
happy, the, the, the current Rhett, not maybe the old Rhett, but the current Rhett was very happy to hear that while, you know, obviously it was a Christian message, but it was really a celebration of his life yeah, and, and it was, remembering him. It, it was, it was, I believe it was honoring to God and honoring to his faith. Um, but it, but it was, and it was also honoring to his life, and it wasn't putting the congregation on the spot in any way, which right. can can feel kind of cringy. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it it it, it, it really was feels a like a, exploiting someone's death for the sake of an agenda. I'll get off my soapbox, but I'm just happy to yeah, hear that that didn't, that, that didn't happen. Pastor did a, did a great job and everybody else who talked, including me apparently. Yeah, Lee did great. <laughs> the pastor did great. I mean, come to think of it, she didn't say anybody didn't do great. So. Yeah, everybody did great, right? <laughs> That's not really what it was about, <laughs> but sure. <laughs> um, but the, the experience around it was one that I wouldn't trade for the world because, uh, Lewis passed away on a Wednesday evening and then I got on a plane the next morning to fly home to be with mom. So by the, within 22 hours of his passing, I was there with mom. So he died on a Wednesday night um, and then I was able to get on a plane the next morning and fly home so that by 22 hours later, I was there with my mom and the, we actually had plans to, like as a family, we were coming, in, we had already made plans a long time ago to come into town the following weekend for Britain's wedding, which was like basically in the same, in the, you know, in the next town over yeah. in Sanford. So we were like, okay, we all need to be here for the funeral. We may not be able to make the wedding, um, but the, the it worked out and with with the family and the funeral home and everything to push the funeral to the following Thursday. So he died on a Wednesday, I arrived the next day. One week later is when we scheduled the funeral so that my family could come into town, go to the funeral, and then stay through the wedding as opposed to missing the wedding because we couldn't do both if it was earlier because they would be in jeopardy of missing too much school. So logistically we worked that out but a a byproduct of that, and that's just something that uh, I'll end up treasuring forever, I think, is it meant that I was with my mom for six days, like all day, and then staying at her house all night uh, until Christy and the kids showed up and then we went to an Airbnb for the night before the funeral. Mm -hmm. um, and that turned out to be, you know, it was great to be able to be there for mom and for it not to be something that was rushed. It's like, you know, when when a loved one dies across the country, it's like, well, you go out there, but then you got to get back to your life, and you can't you can't keep doing a lot of your work, and uh, so you got to go back. Versus, like, if you're in town, you can show up and leave, and you know, with us being over here, it's just one of those times where it really it really hurts to not be there yeah. because you can't be there for the people that you love the most. So it was nice that it worked out. And it was actually easier because it was this, that same week as the week that you were on that trip with Locke. So the same time that you were doing that, that's why Jesse was there but you weren't there. Um, 
if anybody's wondering that. And it made it easier logistically. Our shooting schedule was kind of cleared. Yep. And it ended up, and it, so I really felt released from my work in a way that I, I think I would have made the right decision to be with mom anyway, maybe that whole time. But I just felt more, I didn't have the pressure of like, okay, there's, there's so much that runs through the two of us. I always get scared and it's like to do the right thing, it's gonna make things really hard back here for work. So it was nice to be released from that because it just so happened you were already gone that week. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and I helped mom walk through a lot of the logistics and working with Lewis's family to like, I don't know, just to set things up, keep things clean around the house. You know, my mom's an only child. I'm an only child. So it's like it, when it comes to her and our side of the family, it's and it's really just the two of us. You know, there's nobody else who's gonna come in and help my mom out except for a couple of her best friends right. who are gonna be in and out. So I, I, I did really need to step up. Um, so I was able to do that, but every night, you know, people were coming through all throughout the day, but it was really, Every night, people would stop showing up when it got dark, and it would just be the two of us hanging out, like watching television, eating some, eating some more of that bojangles that everybody was dropping off. Like that's what people do, man. Oh man, it was great. Bojangles has this like cinnamon twist thing now. It's like Bowberry biscuits are not as good as this cinnamon twist uh, thing they got. Okay, hold people on. were bringing these cinnamon uh, twists by. That might be sacrilegious. I'm just planting a seed, man. So, nothing with cinnamon in it is better than a bowberry biscuit. It's just, oh, it's so good. Okay. But I had both. So we'd be, we'd be eating some of that. Of course, I did go to the uh, grocery store and buy my supplies, which were- um, uh, Water, chapstick. Coffee and cereal. So I'd get me a bowl of cereal and I'd sit down there with my mom. Your mom's not a coffee drinker. No, so I gotta make sure I got my coffee. Wow. She's never been a coffee drinker. Nope. And then we would just sit down and talk every night. Of course, we would talk, you know, she'd be processing like this slowly becoming real. You know, you're in shock. It's like even you might think it was expected, but it, it wasn't, and you really can't fully expect to, you know, to lose your your mate, right? So you can't be fully prepared for that. Yeah. So whenever she wanted to talk about Lewis and it, like memories or you know what they had just been going through, it's like you know I was just able to to listen. But then we would also talk about other things. I was like I brought up stuff that like memories from my childhood that I was talking about in therapy. Uh -oh. Like I would bring up. I was like, Mom, I remember this thing. I'm not going to share it here, but um. Yeah, I kind of got her perspective on it. Like, uh, I don't care, I'll share it. I remember when I was a kid, I would, I re like one of my first memories was at First Baptist Church. I got, it was me and Jimmy, my stepdad. He was legitimately your father -in -law. my stepdad. Not my father-in-law. <laughs> your, your first father-in-law. <laughs> I remember in the middle of the service, I was doing something. He took me out of the service. Mm. And like walked down the center aisle and took me out and like gave me a lecture, and like and then brought me back in to like apologize to my mom during the service. 
I don't even remember what I was doing, but I remember just kind of being traumatized by the fact that like I was paraded out in the middle of church while everybody, and back in while everybody was looking at. And it was like. He didn't whoop you though. He didn't whoop me. Um, and mom reminded me, well, when you came back in, you, you, had a, you had a flower in your hand. You'd picked a flower and you and came, came and gave it to me. And I was, oh. like, I was like four years old. Wow. Five years old at most. And she was like reminding me of that. Pick a flower for your mama boy. Yeah, and she was like. I don't care, just to get one. She gave me some insight into what was going on there that like we had never talked about. We had this very adult conversation about like, what was it? Like so many things that like experiences, like these little bits of memories that you have when you're a child that I never sat down and picked my mom's brain on what, what was happening that, what did I do wrong? Did you she know? remember? She said I couldn't sit still. And she thought that it, the punishment didn't fit the crime. <laughs> so it was, it, there was a bit of vindication there. Um, but th that's just the nature of the type of conversations that we ended up having to the point where I was like, on this, maybe it was the first night or the second night, I just turned to mom and I was like, you know, um, this is, the first time that we've ever spent this much time together, just the two of us, since definitely before I got married. Like once I got married, it's like I'm always bringing Christy. It's like, hey, we're you know, we're I'm not coming and spending the night with my mom once I'm a married man. You know, it just doesn't happen. Well, I mean, right? It, in some relationships, it happens. Yeah, but <laughs> we, not in yours though. Yeah, I'm I'm grateful for that. And it's like you know, and we never. So, and back when we did live together, we were never having adult conversations, right? You know, um, so it was it was nice to be there for her, but also to kind of have this, like, to develop this new rapport <laughs> between the two of us. Another time, I, I just kind of got in my mind questions I would ask her, because it's, and I will clarify, it's not that we weren't close but growing up it was just that um most people you know, don't talk to their parents yeah about she these loved things. i mean my mom was the sweetest mom i can't come up with any trash to talk about her to my therapist i'll put it to you that way you know she never actively did anything to me that i could that i i need to pay for therapy for like i could say that honestly um but yeah, it's it's not like uh, in college I called her every and talked to her on the phone all the time. And we had this like dynamic relationship, but we we've always had a good relationship. Um, but this is kind of like a different level and a different facet to it, which was surprising. It's like I started coming up with questions to ask her, like, "Mom, what do you what do you think about me being famous?" <laughs> just to kind of get a, just to, just to get a kick out of how she and she was like, "Why are you asking me that?" She's like, she's like getting paranoid. Like, well, what, what, do do you think I'm not proud of you? I'm like, no, no, no. I know you're proud of me. It's just like, do you, do you? Is it weird? Do you? Is it weird? <laughs> do Do you actually know that I'm actually? She was like, "Well, I know that you're famous. I do know that. I mean, I go to the grocery store and people." People, people always have something to say about you and Rhett. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so you, you don't really, you don't really know. I don't, I, well, well, I gotta take my mom somewhere to like prove my fame. I don't know what it is. 
like when dad came out there that time when we had the buddy system billboard, I, we took a, I took him out on Hollywood Boulevard and was like, look up there, see that billboard? That's me in, the, in Hollywood. Like that kind of did it for my dad. Of course, he definitely knows I'm famous. You know, that's what. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the type of conversations that, that mom and I were having. And at some point in the conversation, it, I remembered as we were talking about Lewis, I was like, you know what? Lewis mentioned to me, mom, do you know this? I think he said it in front of you too, that he was writing down his life story or I don't know what how he put it. I don't know if he said I'm writing down my life story, but in my mind it was like, oh, Lewis is writing a memoir. It's kind of how I processed it. And she was like, yes. I would give him such a hard time about that. Oh, really? He said, "I'm." He he said, "I'm. I'm gonna write a book. Like so many things have happened to me, I'm gonna write a book." And I, I and mom said, and now I just kind of, I feel kind of bad for him because I'm. I just gave him a hard time about it. I was like, "So you, so you never read it?" She was like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, but the way that Lewis talked about what he wrote was, or that what he was writing was, I'm just writing down some stories from. You know, I got these stories, things that happened to me. I'm, just, I'm writing them down, mm-hmm. and um, so he would, he would downplay. He didn't say, you know, I'm right, I'm, I'm writing and going to publish a book. And I know I sound like Bill Clinton, but well, so does he, there's I mean, a little it, bit it, of yeah, you sound like Lewis to me. Okay, good. Um, so I went on his computer, and I guess it was not password protected. Uh, no, and I just started. Well, if you're gonna write a memoir and not keep it in the cloud, then don't put a password on your computer. I don't think he has a cloud. Exactly. <laughs> the cloud is yeah. the computer. Yeah, Lewis didn't have a cloud. Um, I remember at the time, and this was maybe a couple of years ago that he mentioned this, that um, I was thinking, wow, this if he's really following through with this, and he seems serious about it, this is something that, one day when he does pass, this'll be something, this'll be a nice thing to have. Maybe he's writing it for his kids or, you know, I haven't read it and he didn't say who he was writing it for, but like that thought entered my mind and kind of stuck in there and then it popped back in and I was like, oh man, yeah, this is, he's been working on this thing. I know not in the past three years, but before that he was said he was working on it, mm-hmm. you know? So um, I went on his computer and I'll tell you what I found. But first, let's do an ad. Doesn't oh. this feel kind of cheap? Oh, I mean, you're gonna good. throw the ads in. I like that. You might as well just throw them in at a good cliffhanger. I, I agree. Um, we want you to check out Stevie's podcast. Best friends, If you have not done it. Best Friends Back All Right, the podcast that she has with her high school best friend. They're reconnecting via podcast and the episode that just came out is all about how Stevie went from Stephanie, yeah, that's the name on her ID. But to Stephanie. Stevie. So there was a, a point uh, in her high school where she went from Stephanie to Stevie and she talks about that. And Nagin talks about what it's like to grow up with a name like Nagin in a place like Greensboro. Yeah, so the, it's, it's an episode all about them processing their identity in high school and reprocessing it now as part of them reprocessing their and rekindling their friendship. So check it out if you if you ha, if you like that, if you like 
early 2000s nostalgia. Um, if you like, uh, if you like voices other than ours, they've got two great voices. Yeah, they do. Check it out. Best friends back. All right, wherever you get your podcast. Mm-hmm. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, so I'm looking on his uh, desktop. How do you search for this? You, well, uh, first of all, it's a Windows machine and I'm like, uh, oh my gosh, what do I do? It's like, look on the desktop for just stuff that he's thrown there, memoir, uh, I don't know. And somehow I found what I, what I call a finder, you know, the explorer window, mm -hmm. the file explorer. I haven't used Windows in so long. And um, I searched by date edited because I thought it might be one of the last things it's, it was an ongoing thing he worked on. Maybe one of the last things he worked on. Um, and I'm looking at all the file names and it's stuff like um, coaching tips. And then there'd be things, you know, instead of naming it, it would be like the first word of the document, like a lot of Word documents yeah. where it would be like, um, don't quit until, or some, and it would be like, the start of inspirational quotes would be the names of these files. Because he, he was a coach for a really long time. Yes. And I started and opening And it's a pretty these. successful coach in, in, in several sports, right? Yeah, I, yeah. and I, I, I've got proof of that that I'll get to in a second. But yeah, he would, as a very committed basketball coach, he coached other things too, but like um, he accumulated, I would start opening these things and it would be um, quotes, inspirational quotes. And I, at first I thought he was searching the internet for inspirational quotes and putting them in Word documents. But what he was doing was pulling from his memory of coaching and working under other coaches and being so committed to the craft of coaching that he had all these pithy inspirational sayings mm. that then he would just, he from memory, just start writing them down in Word documents. And then he would write things like, he would write his own name, and then he would write um, like, what's it called, like an, an anagram? An acrostic, not an anagram. He didn't worship Satan. <laughs> That's a pentagram, but. Pe oh, pentagram. Uh, yeah, so like, he did all these Word document-esque inspirational coaching exercises. With his own name? He even did his own name. Wow, do you yeah. remember that one? Uh, I'll have to look it up. That's awesome. I know, it's it just says a lot about who he was as a person, that he was just like putting down to paper all of these things that like he, he would say on the basketball court to his, to his teams and stuff, you know? Lovely, excellent, wonderful, intelligent, and swell. <laughs> <laughs> That's Lewis. I, I didn't email that one to myself. And then I came to one that's, that was called Time Line. Time Space Line. Not timeline, two words, Time Line. 
I said, this might be it, and I opened it up. And lo and behold, here was a Word document. It had a table of contents at the top with like um, years, 1967, 1969, 1972, and it would say like, okay, this is when he was in college, this is when he was in, in service, this is when he had his first job. So it was like a table of contents. And then it was just, he. then you go to down beneath it and it would be like, okay, 1968, and then he would have a paragraph, sometimes three paragraphs, sometimes one sentence. And then he would go to the next one, 1969, or whenever the next date would show up. And so he talked about all types of things. Hmm. And I would just love to share a few of the things that I found in his timeline. Oh, this is great. Because it just it just shows you the type of person he was that at the very beginning he he gave an intro, he said it said 2017. So it was like 1968, 2017. He was like, "Now before I go any further on all this, I want to come back up here and write this." So it's like you could tell he had written the whole thing. It was like four, it wasn't a tome. This thing was like four or five pages of Word documents, okay? It was sketching out stuff that could be made into a memoir. Right, okay. Uh, but he went back up to the top, 2017, he was like, now I want you to remember, it's not really about all of the, how did he put it? It's not really about all the things I did even though I'd, I experienced a lot of things. It's about all the people I met along the way. Hmm. And so pay, pay special attention to the people I met. And then as you go through the whole thing, it wasn't his entire life, it was kinda like if he were writing a, um, a book for coaches. It was, a lot, it was like the highlights of his life related to basketball, coaching, some about teaching, and then a few stories that he's told to people over the years that he, he that he wanted to, to put down on paper. Timeline, a coach's life. Yeah, but it was more of, it seemed like the audience, it, I mean, definitely his kids would enjoy it and they did get a copy of it. But it was and almost did, like. Did they know that this had been happening? No. Wow, that's really cool that they didn't know that this was happening. Yeah, it was, I was you, able you just to remember. I it. was able to tell him, find it, and email it to him. And what I did was, I'll say, I found it. I read enough. I read enough to know that this was it. And then I stopped reading and I emailed it to them. And I said, "Here it is. This is the thing. I didn't read all of it, but uh, period. And I'm not going to share it with anybody else." Except the except, kids except mom, and then they wrote back and said, "You know, it's uh, please read it, please read it." And you know, I'm not going to read the whole thing here. I'm going to read some excerpts. Oh. And you're you're saying you decided not to read it. Out I didn't want to. Of... I didn't. I didn't know if I should read it because he wasn't my dad. He's their dad. Yeah, he's your father-in-law. He's I, I kind of wanted them to tell me it was okay for me to read it, which they did, and right. then I read it. Yeah. And of course, I was going to give it to mom. I thought they would be fine with me reading it. I'm sure they but would have. I just wanted to cover my bases. Got it. Legal legal purposes. In 1969, he told the story of getting drafted mm. into the the Vietnam War mm -hmm. because it was 1969. He was um, he. They made you put down 
uh, a preference area, like a like a, a pre like what you would prefer to concentrate in. And he said, "Well, I don't. You drafted me. You choose where I'm where I'm going to go." And they said, "Well, you got to choose one of these things. Can, you want? Are you interested in infantry, transportation?" And he was like, "Transportation." You know, I grew up on a farm. I drive all types of things. I'll do transportation. And so he tells the story. I'm not going to read it. Of like everybody in the I, I'm sorry, I don't know the the actual term. Like the group of eighty people platoon that are being put through basic training and then getting their assignment. Like the vast majority of people, when they got their assignment, it was Vietnam. But his was. Uh, Washington DC and he was like, there must be some mistake. Like two people out of all 80, all it says Washington DC. And he goes up there and the guy says, well you lucky duck, you've been assigned to be a chauffeur at the Pentagon for the Whoa. Vietnam War. Talk about dodging a bullet or many. Yeah. It's like he was, and you know, it was kind of, he was so, he was, he was very fortunate, you know? And then he tells the story of learning to drive every piece of equipment in the army, including like tanks and stuff, but then he was, when he got his assignment to go to the Pentagon, he was driving uh, senators and all government officials and military officials from the Pentagon. He said, I had to memorize everywhere in uh, Washington DC, like the back of my hand. I knew Washington DC better than I knew Lillington. <laughs> so he's talking about that. He says, after a month in service, moved, and I, I wanna read some of this to give you an idea of how he wrote it. He wrote it like he was talking. After a month in service, moved out into an apartment behind the Iwo Jima statue and enjoyed it very much. Would go over to Washington Monument and run to the top several nights a week, just for fun. It was a tough run, 897 steps to the top. We would look out when we got to the top, then run back down. The run down was much easier than going up. I think it was longer going up than coming down. Yep. That's a joke because it was the same route. Right. That's That was what made it funny. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm tracking. You, know, you, you, you gotta uh, get a ticket to go in there now. I know, unless you're like, I guess if you're a soldier and you have a uniform and you're like, you have access to like drive everybody around, maybe you can just go, you have a key and you can run well, up there. Well, I mean, I was just there recently and there's a whole like complex that's added to the side of one part of it where like there's security things that you go through in a little oh, gift yeah. shop. Just think about like, it, back then, back 1969, then it was just like a door. during the Vietnam War, yeah. he was running, he was driving people around and for exercise running to the top of the Washington Monument multiple nights a week, I mean, you know, it's I'll never look at the Washington Monument and not think of that story. Yeah. Your papa. Used to he, run up 800 Run up to that. Steps. And I remember he would tell us that story uh, at some family gatherings. So it's cool that like those things made it in here and a lot more that I'm, you know, I'm not gonna read. But like he talked about, talked about he started coaching at Cape Fear Christian Academy. Mm -hmm. And he taught the girls, taught. He coached the girls basketball team and they, um, they made it to the state championship and lost. But like, he was a very successful coach like from the beginning, like fresh out of the military and uh, college. Erebiscus is supported by DoorDash. I'm keeping less alcoholic beverages in my house. 
um, lately. I'm kind of on that swing of the pendulum. Okay. But I will say, there's times when when you want to crack open an adult beverage. Yes, it happens. Sometimes amongst friends, sometimes alone. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't I, want to get into the details. I recommend with friends. If you're looking to celebrate with some special drinks, here's to alcohol deliveries with DoorDash. Whether you're hosting, sending a congratulatory gift, or just staying in to chill with a cold one, DoorDash is an easy call. The alcohol selection on DoorDash is top shelf. With thousands of stores all over the country, you're sure to find what you're looking for and more. They have it all, beer, wine, mixers, and for those that don't drink, mocktails and more can be delivered straight to your door. Save up to 25% off up to a $15 value when you spend $35 or more with code EAR. So whether you're grabbing drinks for an event or staying in for the night, DoorDash is here to help you have a great evening, any evening. Terms apply, must be 21 or older to order alcohol, drink responsibly, delivery and promotions available only in select markets. So he would talk about, he would tell the, these stories of getting drafted, of, of, of things like that, but it was striking sometimes how he would really hone in on something very specific. 1976, bothered by pollen. From the mid 70s, I was always bothered by pollen. My eyes would always turn red and itch very bad. I had to use many bottles of Visine. Hmm. Visine would just ease it off for a few minutes, but not long. During the 70s and 80s, I had to wear a mask while mowing the grass. In the earlier 90s, after my divorce, pollen bothered me for one year. It is now 2016 and it has not bothered me in 15 years. Thank you, Lord. I have not had any treatment and do not take any meds for it. It just does not bother me anymore. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. <laughs> I know, it's like. Bothered by pollen. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, a, he was like, this is just a strange, this is his way of saying, this is an inexplicable, potentially metaphysical or spiritual thing that happened to me. Was I cured of of pollen? I would like to know because you know me, I go through a lot of eye drops. Just to just to be on camera, I've got to put in eye drops or else everybody thinks I'm high. Well, uh it's maybe you just need to get a divorce. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, let's read between the maybe, lines. Here. Maybe. Uh, I love you, but we're getting divorced because I'm bothered by pollen. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason. We can stay together. We just need to legally divorce because that might be the key. 1982, taught math in prison for 12 years. What? He's, he took a job through Central Carolina Community College, I know you love CCCC, mm -hmm. um, to, they asked him to substitute teach at the Harnett County Correctional Center, AKA the prison. Yep. And so he said, I started and I, I quite liked it. So I just kept teaching there for 12 years. Hmm. He writes, what's the difference between an inmate and an outmate? The outmate is a person that has not been caught yet. Wow. The students have sports just like we do out of prison. Because he, he taught younger um, kids and then he taught adults in the prison. So when he talks about the students, he's talking, well he's talking about all prisoners. The students have sports just like we do out of prison. I had a student that was the weightlifting champion for all of the Eastern region of the US. A prison weightlifting champion? I, he was, no, he was weightlifting champion before he was in prison. Oh. 
So this is a huge guy. I had him for two semesters. After the two semesters, he was back on the yard. Every morning as I came across the prison yard, he would meet me and ask, how's everything going? Some mornings, he would ask me if anyone was giving me any trouble. After a year or so, I asked him one morning, why do you ask me that question about every morning? He quickly answered me, Mr. Cummings, I don't want anyone to give you any trouble or a difficult time. You were fair to all of us while in school and you deserve the same. If anyone gives you any trouble, you tell me and I will take care of them at night when they are not in school. <laughs> <laughs> they Damn. won't bother you anymore. Wow. Sounds like he's saying, hey, just if somebody's bothering you, I'll kill them. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's what I'm understanding from he it. He says, Sal was looked after in ways I didn't even know. He never told me until I asked why. He asked me almost every morning, is anyone causing any trouble? <laughs> like the way, he'd, the way he'd write down a just story. Just to tie a bow on just it. Just to tie a bow on it. You just know, in case you lost track. He didn't let, you know, it wasn't like I'm, he had these experiences. The way that he tells them is so approachable, it's so true to who he was. I can hear him saying these things, you know, like, like I said, these stories, some of them he would tell us and he wrote them down how he would tell them. You know, it wasn't like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta make this some, I gotta make this into more than it is. I've gotta, I gotta make this memorable. You know, it wasn't about the writing of it, it was about the experience of it. Yeah. And I love the fact that nothing got in the way of him sitting down at his computer and writing this stuff down. And it's, it's, it's such a treasure. He, he kept going. And yes, working with prisons was different, but it's that way in real life. People are all very different, some inmates and some outmates. You have to learn to work with all kinds of people in real life. It may be in school, job, church, community work, recreation, factory, etc. And I had the opportunity to work with private school kids, public school kids, parents, coaches, administration, and prisoners. Youth prisons for three years and adult prisons for nine years. Lots of great experiences and worked with great friends, staff, and students. You know, it's like, he had he had wisdom to share, and it didn't have to be, you know, it didn't have to be souped up. Yeah, you know, it just I just love the fact that it just he it captured this down to earth wisdom that he had that any and, and the fact that he was so good hearted. Mm -hmm. You know, every time that we, every time you saw him, you know, he had a story to tell. He had a smile on his face. You know, it was like he was a special guy. Yeah. And he was and he and mom were such a pair. Like that's the thing that like mom and I were able to talk about and remembering cuz what I didn't tell you was my mom said, "Can you print that off for me?" And I'm like, "Well, your printer doesn't work and I I'm, I'm not about to start becoming your IT guy. That's not the main thing I'm here for. But what I will do, mom, is I'll read it to you." So I started reading it and like we would start, we, we read through the whole thing. Like I read it out loud to her. She was like, this is kind of like a bedtime story. <laughs> <laughs> and we got to talking about everything that I was reading that we couldn't get through all of it in one night. 
And I had to stop and I was like, mom, it's getting late. You're gonna have to go to bed. And she was like, no, no. You know, it's just like putting a kid to bed. That's great. And so then the next night she was like, it, it got to be like 7.30 and she was like, you gonna, you gonna read some more to me? We gotta pick up where you left off last night. And I was like, well, I gotta charge my phone first because we don't want it to die in the middle of it. And she was like, she had to wait like 30 minutes. She was so excited. Couldn't plug it in? Couldn't, pl couldn't plug it in. I didn't. <laughs> I was kind of wanted to mess with her. I was like, we gotta wait until it charges, mom. But um, yeah, it, was, it just struck me when we went back through his memories, even though she got one line in the whole thing, and it was like, the year of their second marriage, um, married for a second time. <laughs> oh, oh wow! So I got man. to that point in the thing, and I hold read on, it to hold, her. Hold on, I mean, let me just say, as the guy who was not willing to print it out for her, but willing to read it, you could have embellished that. Got yeah. married for the second time I to the love it. of my life. But wait, by this point in the in the reading of it, I wanted to be true to it. And plus we both had an appreciation, like mom busted out laughing. <laughs> she was like, now I don't feel so bad about giving me such a hard time writing a book, you know? Well, but, I think but, it's because he was ex he we, was actively experiencing a relationship with her and, and th the stuff that he was writing down was a little bit more about like, yeah. Things he's remembering. And it, so much of it was through the lens of like teaching and coaching and it was that world, like 90%. If it wasn't about pollen, I mean, he wrote one line about each kid being born too. I, think I will say that. Bothered by pollen could, is probably a better name for the book than Timeline. <laughs> right. <laughs> it sounds like a, like a Robert Frost I thing mean, or something. Ear Biscuits is supported by Superfeet. Did you know that more than 75% of Americans will experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% will seek out a solution for that pain? Well, guess what? Your feet don't have to hurt. When you add the signature orthotic shape of Superfeet insoles to your shoes, you give your feet comfort and support where they need it most, helping redistribute forces to reduce stress and strain on your entire body, not just your feet. Superfeet insoles are clinically proven to decrease fatigue, reduce injury, and improve comfort. Since 1977, Superfeet has helped millions of people worldwide experience the life-changing magic of comfy, pain-free feet. Superfeet insoles upgrade the fit, feel, and function of your footwear to help you feel your best. The signature orthotic shape of Superfeet gives your feet the right type of support where you need it most. Physicians not only recommend Superfeet to their patients, they wear Superfeet insoles in their own shoes. Superfeet is the number one doctor worn and recommended insole. Superfeet has thousands of five-star reviews and is the insole of choice for top athletes on the field, on the ice, and on the slopes, and everywhere in between. Superfeet has a wide range of insoles for every activity, every shoe, and every foot. From cushioned and flexible to firm and supportive, you can dial in your fit by taking their quick online quiz. We took the quiz, we've got our, mm -hmm. our insoles coming, they're on their way. You just answer a few short questions and Superfeet will recommend the best insole choice for you. Visit superfeet.com and enter the promo code EAR at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. He wrote so many other things, but mom and I just got an appreciation for how perfect they were for each other and how those 15 plus years, I don't know, you know how many years do they have together? I just well, can't remember. He, he, well, you just said right there, what year did he say married for a second time? I, I didn't paste that into this. I'm not looking at the entire document. 
In 2002, he talked about a near-death experience he had where he almost got crushed by a dump truck because he tr he had a dump truck on his farm and he reached, it was up. Oh God. And it was, it was a tank full of water. And then he reached his underneath it to, to pull out something. He was like, like a dummy, I pulled this thing that I thought was a loose wire and it tripped the whole thing and it's the whole like, the hydraulic. Huge truck, just like the whole dump truck slammed down and the next thing he knew, he was standing beside it and he did not know what happened. He just had a few scrapes on his chest, but like he wasn't hurt and like somebody walked by and they said, what, Lewis, what happened to you? And he was white as a sheet and Lewis said, nothing. And then the guy said, well, you're white as a sheet. And he said, well, I almost got crushed by this and I don't know what happened, but like his original answer was nothing happened because I guess technically nothing happened. Right. <laughs> but he talks about that near death experience. and But that doesn't coincide when he stopped being bothered by pollen. Nope. It's like that was 10 years later. Yeah, and then in 2010, he talked about how he was diagnosed with polycythemia vera, which is like you, your body makes too much blood. So he had to go to the doctor and just leak let leak a pint of blood every month or so. What? But he said the way that he found out was they were doing a bunch of tests and they, they started taking blood and he said as the blood came out of the needle, oh it fell in the bag like ketchup falling out of a bottle. Oh my gosh. It doesn't come out unless you squeeze it. Oh, 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 oh. How <laughs> did you read that without freaking out? I've, I freaked out about it a bunch, but I've read this so a bunch So it's like now. thick blood? Thick blood. Oh gosh. That's when he decided to retire and like he moved into like he and mom's phase of happiness together. Mm -hmm. But he had given up coaching for the most part and um, you know, he signs the whole thing. Happy, 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 thank you Lord. <laughs> happy, happy, happy was the Duck Dynasty catchphrase that he modified into good, good, good. Good, 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 yeah. And you know, there's so much more there that you know, is not, it's not my business reading any more of it publicly but I just wanted to do that to honor him as a person, but it's, you know, you can see what how this got me thinking. We should all be doing this. I mean, if you, you've got experience. We should, all have a timeline? we should all be writing down the things that happened to us. Like, he had these memories treasured in his mind. Like, it was, uh, um, just the things that would happen to him, like the way that he was drafted and the near death experience and the, I guess the pollen too. It's like, these were all things that were like, and the people that he met and a lot of coaches and basketball players that I did not go into those details here were things that were very important to him and were kind of extraordinary. Things that don't happen to a guy who just is a farmer and a teacher in rural Harnett County. Right. Um, so he had this sense that he lived a full life. And it brought a tremendous amount of comfort to to all of us that read it, his kids, to me, to mom. Um, I read it to Christy and my kids when they showed up. Mm -hmm. Like we went back through it. It was like, we were able to celebrate. It's like, wow, he's, he really had a, he, he had a lot of treasures in terms of memories, you know? So this got you thinking, uh, you're gonna start writing? Well, for us, I'm like, that. that's kinda like the, 
I don't know, the every man's application, but we're not every man, we're weird people. Mm. We're weird people who have this conversation on the podcast, on a podcast. And we've documented so much of our lives here. It was the type of thing that, again, when you were, t- week before last, when you started talking about, talking about your, your trip with Locke, it's like, you shared that with me and on this podcast with everybody who's listening, you're also sharing it with people who would care to listen after you're gone. You know, there's so much stuff out there and so many stories out there in Chia Lincoln and Good Mythical Morning and especially this podcast when we're actively processing things that like, it, we're storing up a bunch of treasures here. But honestly, I was like, there's no way my kids will ever listen to this. I mean, it's like, first of all, there's way too much of it. It's not like a Word document that's like can be emailed to you after I die. It's like, do I make a after death playlist? Do we need somebody to do that? It's like, it's there's so much content from us that it's overwhelming. It's for our audience now, but then I start thinking about, what, are my grandkids gonna listen to this? Are my great, great grandkids gonna listen to this? Are they listening to it right now? It, does oh, this, does it mean anything to me that, to know that that's part of it? You think this would what make What is the, legacy? I don't know if this would make the playlist. I mean, I, maybe this would make the, the, the like Link History playlist because you're talking about the playlist and it's only appropriate that it's so, it's so like meta that this would make the playlist. So that means I'm on the playlist. So uh, welcome to Link's uh, Life History playlist. You're in so much of it. People uh, are kind of annoyed. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but like, why it's just do you insist on being way. in everything that is, well, is my legacy? They're going to feel the same way about my. Pl- now this is my, exactly my, this is the one video that's in both of our playlists, <laughs> right? So welcome to my playlist, and I'm sorry that he's here. And even in the book of mythicality, we devoted a whole chapter to planning our funeral. I'm not really talking about plan- planning the funeral well, and our and our um, what's our obituary. Like we wrote farcical obituaries. We try to. You just embrace death in that way and the and the humor of it on this side. But I'm talking less about that and more about just, we put out so much information that our loved ones could benefit. They can know us through all of this, but it's so much that I honestly don't think, it's just too intimidating. Well. It's too much. What a, it, so it's, then it becomes nothing. Well, I, well, I don't necessarily agree with that. It makes me think a couple of things. One is that, and we can come back to this in a second. I just wanna throw this out there because the first thing I think of is what is the motivation for uh, a legacy? Like what is that related to, mm-hmm. right? What are we actually trying to accomplish? Second thing is um, I have thought about this aspect of my kids, my grandkids, just how people remember me. You know, I tend, of course, and most people who are in entertainment tend to think this uh, to some degree, but we tend to think that what we have to say is important. You know, we're um, narcissistic enough to not maybe get diagnosed as a narcissist, but narcissistic enough to feel like we could have a podcast and a show and a so-and-so and what we're I know, saying. but I don't think it's important. I think it's entertaining and engaging. Well, but. And but, connecting. But what I, I guess what I'm getting at is, so I, I have journaled at different rates on and off for years. 
Yeah. But as we have transitioned more into this podcast being so full of self-disclosure and sort of story summary and that kind of thing, and also the stuff that we've done on Good Mythical Morning over the years, the frequency and the detail of journaling has gone way down. There was a point in my life when I would start writing in a, a journal entry and I was definitely writing it as if someone was going to find it someday. Like I'm thinking about my my grammar and I'm thinking about sounding smart and eloquent and sounding like a good writer. Mm -hmm. um, and that has really gone away. With, and also, you know, with something like, like the trip that I took with Locke that now I was able to sit down within a week of getting back, write down all the little things that stand out in my mind as being compelling to remember and to talk about. And then I talked about them for an hour and a half or however long that podcast was. And so now I've kind of put it out there and if I wanted to reaccess it at some point to remember what I, because it has, a, there's a little bit of this, like I'm never going to remember it as precisely yeah. as I did a week after it happened and when I told the story. So you think about it in terms of personal recall. You're, well, ne you're no, never going to relive it. No, 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 no. no. It. That's one aspect. It's just one aspect of it. But you, but you don't. But you honestly don't think you're ever going to relisten to it, right? No, no. But I think that Locke will, right? I the, the idea that yeah. you know there. I think there are certain pieces where it's like, okay, after I'm gone, Locke will listen to those two podcasts of the two road trips that we had in the uh, you know the span of. Four Does he months. know you? They exist though. Yeah, 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 he knows they exist. Okay. Um, I don't know if he listens to them now. He's an 18 year old kid who's got a bunch of stuff going on. He's like, my dad makes my, stuff. Yeah, my, um, my. But he will, right? He will at some point, either while I'm, when I'm old or when I'm gone. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I do think about that, but I, so I kind of feel like we've got it covered in one sense. now. To answer your question about the logistics of it, um, you're probably if you're interested in this, if you're like legitimately interested in somebody doing this, I do think it's like, uh, like a paid intern working for literally months to take everything that you've ever said about yourself <laughs> and put it into like a playlist or. I edit it together. Yes, I think that that could be a worthy exercise if you want to like catalog your life because you've talked about so much of your life, and then you know they would, they would probably get one intern to do both of us. But so I do think the only way it's just so intimidating is to like have a curated guide to Link's dead, and you want to be sad about it, but you want to also be happy about it, and you want. Like I think it, this I, is a good. This I is think the, a sampling is enough. Sampling is. I mean, I think, I, I think you get. I mean, we kind of say the same types of things over like and over a again. Guy. You know, is like, oh yeah, they some funny things happened. I don't think they, it's. I, to me, it's like there's one thing that's like the process of mourning and letting go and but celebrating and hanging on to um, who like in this case who Lewis was as a person, who he was to me, who he was to mom, um, who, who he was to students and prisoners. And <laughs> you know, it's, it, it really, it, it, it coalesced in my brain. Like it, everything kind of came together. 
Like, I wish I would have read it while he was alive and we could have talked about it, you know? It's like when he said I'm writing it, you know? It was, it was, yeah, it was like, let me read what you got. But it, I don't, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, it's a, it's a work in progress. I, but I, 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 I do think that there's another way to think about it. So that's one place to think about it, is that, hey, I'm, I'm mourning, I'm remembering, and I'm uh, not just eulogizing, but um, commemorating. So I feel like my love for, for Lewis is kind of commemorated in this, in this experience of reading this thing. But there's another experience that I think about, it's like my grandkids' kids, be like, oh yeah, it's like, you know, back when videos used to be on the internet and like this is how technology used to work. Your great, great grandfather, you know that guy who's like, he's so old, he's 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 scary to look at. Do you or, think you're gonna have dead. great, great grandkids? Oh, you, hell You're gonna yeah. get some sort of elixir? Yeah, man. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, I guess you're right. The dead, the dead guy. You know the one that's just a brain in a vat? Yeah, who with knows? The, with the glasses on the outside of the glass? Yeah, who knows how I'm still gonna stick around. Grandpa Link? Or I'm gone, and it's like, you can watch these things. It's like, you're gonna have to get a, a different type of screen, and it's not gonna be downloaded to your brain. I know it's gonna be frustrating, but and you have to scrub through it on this old device or something, or I don't know, maybe it's been brainatized. Well, that, you, you make a good point, because if they could just download all the history to their brain, then they actually don't have to watch it there and watch all that content. You talking Matrix? Yeah. Download. But I think that's another use case of I've been thinking all about this, this. All of this crap is that like all well, this all this content that we're putting out into the world. It's like what if I mean, what if you were I don't know, it would be like watching like if Andy Griffith was my great great grandfather and I'm like, Well, you gotta watch this this show called the Andy Griffith show and like he was a comedian and he made this sitcom. What's the sick? Okay, don't worry about it. Just watch it. You'll you'll well, my you question, won't find it funny. My question is, why? Right. So, what is the motivation for us as as living people who are trying to leave a legacy? Um, once we're dead, and what is the motivation, or what do we think the purpose, ultimate purpose is for someone who's left behind to read it? Because I I was thinking about yeah, you know, I was recently thinking about my grandfather, my um, dad's dad. Now mm -hmm. both of my grandfathers, my dad's dad, who I met just a couple of times in my life, uh, and then my mom's dad, who I never met because he died when my mom was in college. So, and then I had like a, a you know, step-granddad, uh, who was the closest thing I had to a granddad, but you know. But I've been thinking about them, the ones that I didn't know well, and I'm just like, I want, you know, Everything I know about them is through the lens of my parents. And then, and I found myself wondering like, what were they really like? And how much of it has been shaped by just the perception that my parents had? And then I was like, why, why? why do, like, what do I wanna know about them? Why do I wanna know that? Cause you feel a connection, there's a blood connection to like, there's part of my DNA that was in this guy. I am who I and am, at least in part because of them, for like, sure. Think about if you could watch a video, a one hour and a half video of your grandfather talking about his, 
his struggle with spirituality. You know, it's like, yeah. that would be fascinating. And I mean, just to say, look at his mannerisms. Like, I, I do that, you know? I sound like that. Like, I have this instinct to, to talk about things in this way. And so did he. It's like, all of a sudden you have this like connection of lineage. Like I've never, I've never really been one to, I, I'm not one of those family tree people. Like I've, I've just never been inspired to look into lineage and, but that is fascinating. And if, and if there was a video of a great, my great grandfather. If we, can we just prime, get a video? In his in his internet prime talking about it, I'd be like, oh, I got to see a little bit of that. Of course, I would but love to. I would it, love to experience that from long dead relatives. But then maybe you get some sort of like insight because there's there's wisdom. To me, it's like, is there wisdom that could be passed down a few more generations because so much has been uh, recorded of us? I would hope so, especially on ear biscuits. But there's also a lot of us cutting a fool that's like, would just be a trip people to watch. found this funny? It's like, what? Yeah, f people find it funny, well, but- Some people did. There's a, a lot of people did. Like all of the stuff that we eat on Good Mythical Morning is like, it's a preservation of pop culture. You know, in, in a way that there's few, there, I mean, there's other videos that got it, but like in terms of like a complete catalog of like pop culture, Especially when it comes to food, like snacks. Think about like, you know, you, we go on eBay and get all these old discontinued snacks, and and eat them from you know decades ago. But like, think about a century from now, we we are conveying an experience of eating snacks from the twenty tens. 2020s, you know, it's like, is that valuable to like the Library of Congress? <laughs> I mean, they they put like Wu-Tang Clan in the National Archives. Like, I kind of feel like maybe one day we'll be in. Okay, I, but my, here's my question. We'll GMM will be in the National Archives. But, you know. For eating, eating. Snacks. But why do we want that to be? <laughs> the I just case? think that's cool. I don't want that to be the case. But, but no, but don't. I mean, you kind of do though. Well, I'm not doing it for that reason because I just thought of it. Well, no, so no, that's no. Not... But no, but I'm just saying, what is the motivation to? Uh, yeah, okay. There's an altruistic version, which is like maybe my descendants will gain some insight about themselves. Yes, of course, that's awesome. I'm not, Sins of the father type thing. That That's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but rewarding to think every, about. But don't you think that everyone has uh, a, um, a tendency to want to be remembered and it's the same thing that keeps you wanting to be alive? We don't wanna die. We don't wanna go away. And lots of people, probably the majority of people in the world, definitely the majority of the people in the world, believe that they will continue to exist in some form after they die. I don't know what I think about that. Obviously, everyone wants to continue to exist, um, but what if, we, what if this expression of consciousness is contained in this lifetime and then it's over? First of all, there won't be any ego post-death 
to appreciate or relish in the fact that you are being remembered. You know, Locke and I had this interesting conversation uh, on our road trip. Now that I think about it, that is strangely related to this. Because he, he essentially asked the question, I don't remember the specifics, but it was, you know, would you, if you could choose, like your your life is going to be great and you're gonna get to do the things that you want to do and accomplish the things that you want to accomplish and live a long life, but like five years after you die, your reputation is gonna be ruined because they find something out about you, even if it didn't happen, but just like, let's just say that somebody says something about you that wasn't true, but your Post name- death smear campaign. Your name becomes associated with just like, oh, we don't talk about, we don't talk about grandpa because yeah. of so-and-so. Okay. And Locke was like, would or you- Or what? I mean, I'm just saying like, if you, okay, if somebody came to you right now and said, you can have what you want, you can have health and life, and but the trade-off is, but just let you just so you know, five years after you die. Okay, yeah, I, I, I got it. Um, uh, I'll tell you what I, I said I, after you. After I, you. My knee-jerk reaction is, I would go for it. I, I just feel like that the reputation is overrated. I, I, I'm just concerned about how it might impact my progeny's opportunity. Well, that's what I told him. I said the first thing that comes to mind is. I don't want your life and Shepard's life and your mom's life to, to suck to because, suck because of you're a smear campaign. Yeah. But if you remove that, so let's just say it's f five generations later, that your name is going to be synonymous with like something crazy, hateful, or just whatever. D how does it make you feel? Like, if you, okay, Locke was like, I don't care because I won't have the ability to care. But, yeah. but really? If you could choose, if you could choose, and let's say nobody that currently you love and know is gonna be affected, but five generations from now, are you really telling me that you don't care about your name being smeared? I, I have to know, what am I choosing against? You gotta tell, I mean like just a, a crappy life, a horrible life? An, no, no, I, I'm changing the scenario now and saying that, I come to you and I say five years from now, I mean five generations from now after you're dead, either, you're gonna be your name's gonna be remembered for what you did, or there's gonna be a smear campaign. You're obviously gonna choose what you did, but why? Why do you care? Because one thing is like, do you care? Because or, I, I only have something to gain. I guess is my point. But what, do you, have, what, what do you have to gain? Yeah, you won't the, exist. The knowledge now that I won't be smeared five generations from now. Right, but even when I think about things like, I don't want to die naked or something, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't wanna die in an embarrassing way. Uh, it, it, you, like when you think about, oh man, if I die and I'm wearing the, this pair of underwear that I just took a crap in or something, you, don't, I, there's a part of me that's like my ego feels like it's trying to reach past my existence. Okay. You know, and so I say all that to make the point to come back to what we're talking about, which is, it's difficult for me to separate that tendency from my ego to want to live beyond my consciousness uh, from my desire to leave a legacy because it, 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 it is a lot about me. And then I kind of end up being in this place where I'm like, ah, I have so much to be thankful for in terms of so much of what I've done and said and the, the things that I'm proud of are out there 
And I don't really have to think about this. Like I don't have to think about what my memoir would be because it's kind of already being written. I, I don't. So it sort of takes care of itself. For me, I get excited about my uh, great grandkids who would never know me or know me as this old guy who might be an invalid or something or great, great grandkids who will never know me being able to know me in a sense and say, you know what? I could have been, I could be, I could have been friends with that guy. I don't know. That just, it just seems, it just warms my heart a little bit. And I think there's, to know th there's that, like, legitimacy in that. Yeah. It's like, it, but it's, so I don't think about like on a societal level, like I just, I know that we're doing good work. I know it, it has a positive impact on people. And I, when I say it, I do start to think and I guess get excited about that like, you know, some people would still have this taste for it, you know, generations from now, they might, I, you're probably right. They would watch Good Mythical Morning and like say, you found this funny, you found this entertaining? But maybe that's not true. I could sit down and watch the Andy Griffith show and right now and be, be my heart could be warmed by that. You know, so that does make me happy. But in terms of like, I guess now I'm in such a familial zone, you know, with coming off the funeral and everything. I'm thinking a number of things, which is like, I'm not, I'm thinking more about dying than living forever. You know, like death with dignity type thing. And I started to have those type of thoughts. But, but also um, people who, yeah, like, generations, like family members, being able to have some connection with me and gain some wisdom from me that like I would just hope that they could glean somehow through the reading between the lines and I don't, of and, this podcast. And I don't think there's, there's not, I completely agree and I don't think there's anything wrong with that and I'm not trying to say that the element of ego that is in what you just said as well mm -hmm. is a bad thing, It's we can't help, that, I mean, Sure. The fact that we want to leave a legacy that is positive is a good thing that's built into the human psyche. Because if it wasn't, then you would do some crazy shit right at the end of your life just because, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. we actually want to die, most people want to die well, want to leave a legacy. Um, and I think that because you have the ability to think about the future benefit that someone else will receive. And even if it makes you feel good because, oh, I'm proud of that I could leave a legacy that they will benefit from. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just those are the things that come to mind when I think about, um, you know, it, it can, that can be taken too far. There's like an unhealthy level of that when you're like so concerned about what you're doing and how people will remember you in ways that, you know, it's the, it's the old adage, you can't take anything with you. You know, I've never seen a uh, a hearse with a with a U-Haul attached to it. <laughs> you can't take anything with you, but you can leave a lot. Oh, you know what I'm I've saying? I've heard that before. Who told you that? Not you. <laughs> I, but I also like the idea of okay, when I die, I would I would love to know that there are still some mythical beasts out there who are active enough. You know, hopefully I'll die a long time from, time from now, so it'll be surprising that there's like mythical, active mythical beasts who are like 
putting together a, you know, just like a montage. Well, people still watch like Golden Girl. I just wanna, you know. Put down a, put. People I wa- still watch Golden but, Girls for like comfort. I have to believe that somebody out oh, there is gonna watch I, GMM I for that comfort. I, but, but I believe that there's, that there will be fan montages that will be passed around on whatever version of the internet exists in the future, hopefully the distant future after I pass. Hmm. And they, the bit, of, the sadness that they experience in me being gone will be overwhelmed and eclipsed by the comfort in knowing that I lived a, I lived my life to the fullest, and uh, they connected with it. I agree. I, I wholeheartedly agree. That does it does feel good to know that that will happen. But one interesting thing here's a closing thought that might make this all very unsettling for you, is that our legacies are linked. <laughs> is uh, inextricable, is that a word? Yeah, whoever doesn't die first. So like if you, if I die yeah, and we you live on this. and you do something that is, if you just tarnish your legacy, you tarnish my legacy because mm. people can't, you know, and, How do we and solve versa. this in the Book of Mythicality by, rev- there is, when you read the obituaries, you realize that one of us inadvertently killed the other one right, <laughs> through like some strange turn, know, turn of events. Fun. That was a fun chapter. but That's how we solved it. Uh, but that's an interesting thing is that so much of what people experience from, from you and your what your great great grandkids experience? It's like they're they are forced to experience me as well, and hmm. we, you know, we we basically have that responsibility for one another. Whoever dies first, you got to you know to make the playlist. <laughs> well, to hire an intern to make the playlist, yes. But what I'm saying is to make sure that the legacy is not tarnished. I'm saying you know, and I'm taller, so I'm probably gonna die first. So this is probably on you. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> that's my that's my worry. <laughs> that's my worry. Sorry, like, if I'm not present. Yeah, man. And like you know, maybe there's a live stream at some I mean, point. Now like, you know how Christy feels every day when I come to work. Like thirty years from now, <laughs> you something comes out. What's wrong he gonna do at a, work on, today? On a live stream, and you tarnish. Yeah. Our legacy, and I'm just like, I'm up there in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, I can't do anything about this. Oh, but you're watching it. Yeah, I'm watching it on Link, Link TV. And you're heaven. seeing all of it. Uh, mm. So write your own timeline if you if you want to, if, if you were inspired to do so. Bothered I, by pollen. Let us know um, about your experience with pollen. Hashtag ear biscuits. Mm. No, what, what, I mean, what does this make you think of? How, how, do you, how are you processing this? Is it? Is it making you cringe? Is it giving you ideas? I, I really don't know. That's why hashtag ear biscuits exists. And why do do you want to leave a legacy? What kind of legacy do you want to live leave? And why? Oh gosh, we got deep. There's got to be more of these podcasts. Hashtag ear biscuits. Um, do you have a wreck? I do have a wreck. Um, not related to anything. Switch it up. Um, I am going to recommend a hot sauce. Okay. It's a hot sauce that I've been putting on multiple things. This is exciting, this is different. Uh, it is Marie Sharps. Now she has a whole lot of different stuff. The original the original hot sauce, which is pretty daggum hot, it is uh, from Belize. 
and it is habanero and in Belize they add carrots to the hot sauce which gives it a really good flavor. Now let me say something about this. And you may remember when we $10 tasted- $10 on Amazon. Much cheaper than that in the grocery store and it's probably available in most grocery stores. When we did a hot sauce taste test on Good Mythical Morning, we tried Melinda's hot sauce. And Josh said this at the time, I don't know what made it to air. But the story of this hot sauce is that this woman, Marie Sharp, was in Belize and her husband was a farmer. He was growing habaneros and she started making hot sauces out of it. Everybody was like, this is great. What we're gonna make, we want to start selling your hot sauce. And she says, I wanna call it Melinda's. And it was like named after the farm or something on the farm. The company that she was working with copyrighted or trademarked Melinda's and started Melinda's, the hot sauce company, which is actually bigger than Marie Sharp's and sells a bunch of hot sauces. And we had it on the show. And that's why I feel a little bit bad about this. And basically mm. took this woman for a ride. And so said, you're trying to make it right with and this so, recommendation. And then Marie Sharp was like, I gotta go back and start from scratch and I'm gonna make my own hot sauces. And now she makes her own hot sauce and she has a bunch of different varieties. Again, I like the original and she has reasons for why she thinks hers is better than Melinda's. I actually haven't tried them side by side, but just out of principle, I'm a Marie Sharp's man and it is spicy, but I've been putting it on. I've been putting it on everything. And I just love it. It's got a complex flavor and some heat. Um, so I think probably any of the varieties are great, but if you're gonna get started somewhere, start with just the original hot. I love how the- In the, the white wrap, uh, wrapped bottle. The bottle says, gives a lot of the story of how she makes it, but the last sentence is, produced in the fertile paradise of Belize, her red habanero is considered to be the hottest of pepper known to man. Well, that's questionable. Well, that's not true. Mar Marie has spent many marketing. years cultivating a habanero worthy of her recipe. She has succeeded. <laughs> she has succeeded. There's just something about it.